What number is this, Chip? Episode 93, the Monkey's Color Cast Commentary for Monkeys at the Circus, our tribute towards Sylvester, Mickey's on Tour, 50 Summers of Love, and more. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkey's Podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm Ken Mills, your host here today at Zilch, and it's going to be a very fun episode. We're focusing on TV, and today we'll be doing the Monkeys Color Cast Commentary for Monkeys at the Circus from February 13th, 1967. To save a bankrupt circus, the Monkeys poses a troupe of dazzling supreme high-wire artists from France known as the Mozzarelli Brothers but get in trouble when their guys require them to actually perform. So that'll be fun. And later in the episode, Sarah Clark and Melanie Mitchell will also discuss Ward Sylvester and his passing. He was a big part of the monkey's story, so we look forward to that. Mickey Dolenz was on the last episode. An incredible response from everybody. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you for sharing it up. Thank you for letting folks know that Mickey appeared on Zilch. It was a great interview. We'd like to thank Mickey and his team and everybody out there for, for being part of it. We never thought it would actually happen, but it did. And we've gotten some tremendous responses from people, some some great feedback, and I want to thank you for that. And uh, So thank you, Mickey Dolans, for making Zilch history for all of us. And excellent interview. If you haven't told somebody about Mickey being on Zilch or Peter being on Zilch, please let them know. Hi, this is John Hughes from Rhino, and you're listening to Zilch, a Monkey's Podcast. As I record this right now, John Hughes of Rhino just posted that for this weekend only, the Monkey's Blu-ray set is 20% off at rhino.com. 20% off, that's a steal. Get this while you can at this price. As a matter of fact, rhino.com has 20% off everything in the store through July 4th. So if you have been waiting to buy this, now is the time. Get on it. The Monkees, the complete series. All 58 episodes, newly remastered in stunning HD from the original negatives for the very first time. Plus the 1969 TV special 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Bonus material includes commentaries from all four Monkeys, original Kellogg's Monkeys commercials, and more. The 1968 Monkeys film, Head in HD with never-before-seen outtakes. Unique packaging including a 7-inch single featuring Star Collector back with Going Down in unique TV mono mixes. This collection is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered box sets. And once those are sold out, this edition and the bonus disc will never be available again. Everything you loved about the monkeys on TV, it's yours in high def on Blu-ray. Now, the monkeys, the complete series. Go to rhino.com 
or themonkeystore.warnermusic.com. The Monkeys, the complete TV series on Blu-ray. And now for a bit of monkey news. Mickey is on the road. I don't think the man ever stops. <laughs> He's part of the 50 Summers of Love Tour. The 50 Summers of Love Tour with Mickey Dolans, Mark Lindsay, and the Fab Four. It's going to be just an amazing night of great music and 60s coolness. You want to be part of that. You want to see it. Tickets are on sale right now. Just coming up in the month of July, the 50 Summer of Love tour dates are July 14th in San Diego, California. July 27th, Morristown, New Jersey. July 28th, Westbury, New York. Celebrate the anniversary of the Summer of Love with Mickey Dolenz from the Monkees, Mark Lindsay, former lead singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders, and the Fab Four. the 50 Summers of Love Tour coming your way. And of course, you can also catch Mickey on some solo dates in July. On July 15th, he'll be in San Juan Capistrano, California. On July 16th, he'll be in Pasadena, California. And on July 25th, he will be at Paso Robles, California. You can also catch Mickey at the Northeast Comic Con, July 22nd and 23rd in Massachusetts. Information can be found at www.necomicon.net. www.necomicon.net. And when Mickey was on the show, he talked about how much he enjoyed doing the meet and greets with the fans. And meet and greet tickets can be purchased here at www.monkeymeetandgreets.com. The links will be in the show notes. So come on out, get to hang out with Mickey and so take advantage of that. It's going to be really cool. It's definitely a great way to kick off the summer. And in Peter Tork news, you can get your tickets to see Peter Tork on October 21st on the Hot Autumn Night Show. Peter Tork will be appearing along with Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits, The Grassroots, and The Buckinghams at the Theater at Westbury in Westbury, New York on October 21st. Tickets are available at www.venue.thetheaterwestbury.com. Links will be in the show notes. And 7A recently put out Listen to the Bands, but it seemed like it was a big sellout. Stores are currently restocking. Ian and Glenn want us to know that 
that the stock will be replenished, orders will be fulfilled. It's so fantastic. There's such a high demand for 7As. Listen to the band tribute album. Check it out. Place your orders. Get them while you can. They're available through Deep Discount, Amazon, and Ann Moses, who has been a guest on the show here before. She now has her book out. You can get an autographed copy of it now, and here's how. Our next judge is an editor of a magazine, and she's probably one of the prettiest editors that you'll ever meet. From Tiger Beat Magazine, Miss Ann Moses. In 1966, teenage girls all over the U.S. wanted to be Ann Moses. Why? She worked for Tiger Beat Magazine, one of the largest teen heartthrob publications in the world. Every month, she took young fans where they wanted to be, right next to their favorite musician or actor. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, Tiger Beat was the source for teens, both girls and boys, to read about their favorite musicians and actors. And Ann Moses was in the center of it all. For years, I told their stories. Now I'm telling mine. From touring with Paul Revere and the Raiders to surviving Mike Nesmith of the Monkees, I went on many adventures, and with every article, I took you, the readers, along for the ride. You get to go behind the scenes and see what a groovy time it was. If you were there with Anne from the beginning, this book is her way of saying thank you. You can get Anne Moses' book, Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beats Teen Idols. On Amazon or wherever fine books are sold, you can get the book autographed at annmoses.com for a limited time only. Find her on facebook.com forward slash annmoses. Groovy, man. That's, that's groovy. That's gear. That's hip. On today's Monkey's Color Cast Commentary for Monkeys at the Circus, there are two songs played during that episode. The songs are Sometime in the Morning and She. So today, before we kick off the Monkey's Color Cast commentary with Jeff Hewlett and Melanie Mitchell, I'm going to play you a live version. Here's Mickey Dolans from May 2nd, 2014 with Wayne Avers, Coco and the Boys tearing up with She from the Arcata Theater from St. Charles, Illinois. This is also available from Mickey's eBay store, Mickey Dolan's Live in Concert at the Arcata Theater. That's what this is from, so check it out. Mickey doing She.
And now, let's kick off the Monkey's Color Cast commentary with Jeff Hewlett and Melanie Mitchell. And now we turn it over to our announcer, David Ghosty Wills. Take it away, Ghosty. Hey, wait a minute, guys. You know what? It's 7.36.30 Central Time. It's time for the Monkeys. I wonder if anybody around here has got a television set. Hi, friends. Ralph Williams, one of the world's largest... Cliffhangers, Batman. The Monkeys, brought to you by Kellogg. Tonight's Monkeys Color Cast commentary is brought to you by Reynaldo's Dance Agogo. Want to learn to swing on the scene? Come to Reynaldo's Dance Agogo, where our friendly instructors will sign you up for a lifetime contract, and you can dance until you're 80. See you there. Welcome back to the Zilch Color Cast Commentary. This time we were going to be looking at the episode Monkeys at the Circus. I am Jeff Hewlett, and with me once again is Monkey Magic author, the wonderful Melanie Mitchell. Why, thank you so much, but I'm not wonderful. I'm amazing. You're okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> okay. Uh, what, what are the other, what are the other words? Um, colossal, stupendous, colossal, stupendous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I should have used one of those. Uh, good catch. So, you know, everybody, you guys are all used to our format by now. And, and before we jump into uh, talking about our current episode, we always revisit the previous one and uh, deal with some unfinished business. Uh, in this case, we're going to be revisiting our last episode, The Prince and the Paupers. I believe we had uh, at least two outstanding questions from this one, right, Melanie? Two that I can think of. One that I asked okay. myself and one that you socked on me. I was wondering, okay. when was it that Grace Kelly married the Prince of Monaco? Because that hmm. was sort of the parallel to this story about the young debutante right. from New York, you know, Glamorous, who's marrying the prince. I was actually off by 10 years. They got married in 1956. Oh. So it might still have been a cultural touchstone, but it was not a current mm. sort of thing. Okay. Fair enough. I knew it was earlier, but I just didn't realize it was that much earlier. So that's that one. Cool. The one that you hit me with was, was The Prince and the Paupers, the episode that went the longest before having a romp. Hmm. And good question, because in the first season, it was much more common for an episode to have multiple musical numbers and usually some kind of musical event earlier in the episode frequently in the mm. first act or right near the commercial break very uncommon to go all the way through the episode and not have any music other than incidental music in the background until mm. the end um, that was sort of a second season thing but i did find several episodes that had that characteristic or were close for example too many girls the only real musical number is at the end but there is that bit of stepping stone at the very beginning. And then there's that thing that Mike does where he plays and sings different drum really fast. Right, right. Yep. So I, I eliminated that one. But I did find two episodes that went farther into the episode in terms of time before the first song started. Um, and one of them was before Prince and the Poppers. And that was the case, really? of, the, case of the Missing Monkey. Huh. Uh, the song was Step in Stone, and it comes in about a minute and a half later in Good the episode. God, I didn't realize that. I'm surprised I didn't ask this question back then. <laughs> and another one that was even farther, five, another five seconds later in the episode, was Monkey Chow Mein. 
hmm. your Auntie Griselda starting that much later into the episode. Fascinating. All right. But it was close. So I guess, yeah, yeah. Okay, so as we always do, uh, after our unfinished business, we wrap around back to our color cast for this evening, which is going to be, again, Monkeys at the Circus. And we have some background information, of course, on this episode before we get into the commentary. So it first aired back in 1967 on February 13th. And filming wrapped not too uh, far before that, back in, in the December of the previous year right Melanie? yeah last time we did prince and the paupers which was mid-december and this one was just before that hmm. it was it was filmed earlier but aired after prince and the paupers about, about two okay. months in between all right is it and is this one of those episodes where they swap the songs out no they don't Dude. they couldn't oh really? because both songs are performances we can see their mouths moving right yep that's a good point so we've got some time in the morning and uh she mm-hmm. Uh, in this episode as well some incidental music well i i made a note that as the music sorry as the episode begins um we're hearing uh, a tune that a lot of people think of as circus march but it's actually called entrance of the gladiators and it's by julius future interesting i never knew that huh very cool and so who else we got the um, writer and director who who directed this one it was directed by bruce kessler Uh, we've talked about him before well he directed Mm -hmm. uh, the chaperone i've got a little song here oh my favorite alias mickey dolan's which we haven't gotten to yet um he also directed multiple episodes of it takes a thief adam 12 marcus welby md get christy love beretta switch mcleod chips the greatest american hero Hardcastle and McCormick, The Fall Guy, and The Commission. Oh my goodness. I, all all of the usual suspects. <laughs> These guys really get around. And I see what this one was written by, um, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, David Panich? Panic? I've heard it Panich? pronounced both ways, and I okay. don't remember which is correct. All right. Well, David, if you're listening, call in and, and let us know how to pronounce your last name. We'll be waiting with bated breath. So, uh, also wrote Monkey vs. Machine, another one of my favorites. Oh my god. So we've got two of Jeff's monkey favorites. One the director and one the writer. So uh, Also, Monstrous Monkey Mash with Neil Burston. I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sure. So he won an Emmy for Laughing, which is another one of my favorite shows. My god, this is, this is a tour de force. Uh, so, for which he was credited as a writer for 60 episodes and a script supervisor for eight episodes. He also wrote for the Dean Martin Show, uh, Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. Curiously, the Monkees had three characters named Pop over the course of the series, and David Panic wrote two of those episodes. Interesting. Who's the third? Monkeys a la carte, the owner of the restaurant. <sighs> right. Okay. Very good. In every case, right. a, a character named Pop is not only male and elderly, but also ineffectual and desperately in need of help. <laughs> fascinating so you hear you hear all these interesting tidbits here on the zilch color cast all right so we got we got quite a few guest stars we will actually we'll start uh, we'll start with two because we've got a husband and wife team the carlsons we have carl and ruth carlson so carl plays the sword swallower who gets quite a few lines actually uh born july 17th of 1920 and passed away back in 2003 uh not a lot out there about his life uh, and in his television history but he was on most of the usual suspects again combat hogan's heroes laverne and shirley uh, also appeared on another one of my favorite shows alf 
alien life form. Uh, really fun comedy back in the 80s. And apparently he's best known for a couple of roles he had that were also circus-related, The Juggler of Notre Dame and Bozo's Big Top. So neither one of those I've ever seen. I don't know if you've seen those, those shows. Don't know anything right about it, no. So there's a lot more information actually on Ruth Carlson, his wife, who plays the juggler. Her, her actual birth name is Ruth Carlson Walbrook. And uh, she passed away in 2013, but she was born in Vienna, Austria, actually, back in 1919. She was married for 63 years to Carl. So that's a, that's a very long relationship. God, God bless him. Um, so she and Carl both immigrated to the U.S. in the early 50s. And on a ship called the Gripsholm, so I guess that's a famous ship, along with their two young daughters, and uh, they were acrobatic dancers and jugglers, and they wound up being uh, in, in theaters and nightclubs all across the country, and finally came to California, where they settled in the mid-50s, and they continued to perform in L.A. and Vegas, and during the golden age of Hollywood, they appeared in variety shows, you know, the big variety shows, like Ed Sullivan and Johnny Carson and Letterman and Leno. And they also um, elaborated on the skills they brought, and they appeared on almost every sitcom in the 1950s, and of course, also in the movies. So Ruth appeared at her last appearance, actually, this is, this is cute, her last appearance in her early 90s was on the Jay Leno show, and she performed um, spinning plates and comedy routines. So God bless her performing that long into her career so um she also published an autobiography if you're interested in looking that up called lady ruth still kicking and had a lot of photographs and things of her career and life so um wonderful two of them got to be in this episode together and they they do some really cool stuff in this i'm looking forward to talking about it in the commentary so who's next well, i'm going to talk first about donna bacala who plays susan okay. She had a recurring role on General Hospital in the late 70s as Dr. Gina Lansing. She was actually the third actress to play that part in a long-running soap opera. She also appeared in Gunsmoke, The Mod Squad, Big Valley, The FBI, Streets of San Francisco, Mannix, The Rockford Files, Barney Miller, and Barnaby Jones, among many others. Curiously, she appeared in a 1973 segment of Love American Style titled Love and the Big Top. Oh, check that out. And if anyone out there knows about old segments of Love American Style, let us know if that really is a circus-themed story and what role she played in it. Next up is the strongman, played by Gene Rutherford, who is a character actor who retired in the early 1970s, settling in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and after that making several appearances at the Memphis Film Festival in his ongoing years. But he also starred in, again... A lot of the usual suspects, The Andy Griffith Show, Gunsmoke, Mannix, Bonanza, Adam-12, Trapper John, M.D., and best known for his role as Rufus Quint on the American Western series Will Penny, which I've never seen. That doesn't ring a bell with me either. Mm -hmm. Okay. Forrest Lewis played the role of Pop. He was born in 1899. Wow. When IMDb shows film credits going back to 1943 with his first TV appearance in 1952 on the Chevron Theater. Hmm. That same year, he appeared on Dragnet. And in 1953, he was on Amos and Andy. In 1955, he had a recurring role as Mr. Peavy on something called The Great Gildersleeve, which I'd never heard of before. Hmm, but apparently it was an adaptation of a long-running radio sitcom that was itself a spin-off from Fibber, McGee, and Molly, 
And Fibber, McGee, and Molly was the show that had the running gag about the closet that you open the door and everything spills out, which right. we saw echoed in The Prince of the Paupers. Cool. Other TV appearances include My Friend Flicka, You Are There, Zane Gray Theater, The Burns and Allen Show, Lux Video Theater, Alcoa Theater, and Laramie. And I haven't mm. even gotten out of the 50s. <sighs> Film credits include Man in the Shadow, The Thing That Couldn't Die, The Shaggy oh, Dog, nice. and The Absent-Minded Professor. Oh, The Thing That Couldn't Die is a classic. That is a classic. Oh, let's see next. So who do we got here? Oh, my goodness. I am so glad I got this one. Felix Silla. Oh, my God. What a prolific actor. So, plays Willie the Midget, uh, born in January 11, 1937, in a small village outside of Rome, Italy. Uh, funnily enough... Uh, Silla is, is best known for non-circus roles, but he trained as a circus performer, came to the U.S. in 1955, and toured with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus, which recently folded up, but I remember seeing them when I was a kid. So, multiple talents include bareback rider, trapeze artist, and a tumbler, which brought him to Hollywood, which where he, of course, became a stuntman. But, as I'm always fond of pointing out, here is our Star Trek connection. So, Felix Silla appeared in the unaired pilot for Star Trek The Cage that didn't actually get shown until the 1980s. He played a Telosian in that one. And aside from the, you know, I'm going to skip over the usual suspects uh, show because he's been on most of them too, but he's on some interesting ones that don't show up on a lot of other people's lists. He's on HR Puffin Stuff, uh, which is a really interesting puppety sort of kid show, which is a little creepy. Uh, Night Gallery, which is a great show. Adam's Family, he played Cousin It in many, many episodes. Appeared in Planet of the Apes, a Kentucky Fried Movie, which is a really interesting one. The original Battlestar Galactica in the late 1970s, which was one of my absolute favorites. And he played the famous robot Tweaky in the Buck Rogers series, which is difficult to watch nowadays. I tried that not long ago. Go back and watch that on Netflix. It just It's tough to watch now. But... Hold the phone. Uh, Mork and Mindy, another great show. Uh, Return of the Jedi as an Ewok. Uh, Batman Returns as the Emperor Penguin, and Spaceballs as the character Dink. So he's had quite an illustrious career. My first thought was, you know, they need little people, stuntmen, and then I realized that he could be a stuntman for a child. Yeah, Well, That would exactly. be a very lucrative occupation for a, a physically skilled uh, little person. Sure, yeah, yeah. A fascinating story there. And you mentioned the Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus uh, stopping their performances how ironic it is that we're doing this episode right now which right? is about a circus that's almost out yeah. of business and there are elephants in this episode yeah indeed okay took a lot of flack over last actor we have richard devon playing as i refer to him as the redundant invincible victor <laughs> richard devon's has an actual bio on imdb so i will know a little bit more about him than i do about some of the others he was born in glendale california and made his first live television appearance in the mid-1940s on an experimental hollywood television station w6xao hmm. that station was later granted the second tv broadcasting license in california as yeah. ktsl today it's kcbs channel 2 Oh, cool. Richard Devon had a regular role in a one-season historical drama set in post-Civil War New Orleans titled Yancey Derringer. Uh, Richard Devon played a pickpocket named Jody Barker. 
At the same time, he also had a recurring role as Sergeant Alden in Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Jumping forward to the 1970s, he appeared on both Planet of the Apes and in the sci-fi comedy Quark. Do you remember Quark? No. I do. It didn't last very long. But as I recall, it was set on a a spaceship that was a garbage scout. Hmm. I'll look that up. Yeah, it it was funny. And in 1991, one of his last roles was on a show that I remember with huge fondness, Midnight Caller. That's Richard Devin. Cool. So we are going to get started with our color cast commentary for Monkeys at the Circus in three, two, one. Okay, my big question, Melanie, is right here at the beginning. How many Monkeys episodes start with a shot of the Monkey Mobile being driven? Okay, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> now, why are the monkeys seeming to come through a non-entrance here? It's like almost like they're sneaking into the circus. Yeah, well, they're snicking into the circus, they're I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, the main thing is yeah. that this is not a real circus. They are filming on their soundstage. They have very limited space. And so yes. they can't really do an establishing shot you know, showing them coming in from the parking lot or anything like that, because they just don't have enough real estate to work with. Fair enough. Very cramped. That's one of the But I've got to say, they do a pretty good job of the circus set, in my mind anyway. I thought that was one of the things I like about this episode. It's certainly decorated well and, and, you know, lots of good props, um, but the illusion I don't think is really there. Really, I kind of get the illusion... Even a little bit better later when they intersperse the stock shots of a circus audience uh, in with it. It, it kind of worked for me. We're, maybe we're, we're at odds on yeah, that. Yeah, we are. We are. Okay, but, so we recognize this uh, knife-throwing rig from uh, Son of a Gypsy. Oh, right. Yeah. The knives yeah. are pushed through the slots from behind. Yes, that's the old gag, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I kind of thought that the um, the setup here that Davy does for the knife throwing mm-hmm. bit was a it seemed a little forced. Well, yeah. To me, it didn't seem as natural as some of the other um, segues no. that the monkeys pull off in a lot of the episodes. And let's just take a moment to point out that the Invincible Victor was absolutely right. They are trespassing. Yep. They've got no business being there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll go a little further, and I'll I'll say right up front, and I'm sure. We'll get some ire from some listeners, but I think that that Victor is absolutely spot on and justified in just about every single thing he says and does in this entire episode. <laughs> I can't see him as a villain because he's not he's not doing anything evil. I mean, you know, I, we'll, we'll talk about it more as we get through this, but you know, he comes in into the into the big top, and there's four guys there who aren't supposed to be there. The circus is closed, and he's he's you know obviously pointing out that they're in, a, in an unsafe area that they're, they're trespassing. They shouldn't be there. I get it. Yeah. I, you know? I, you're not going to get any grief from me. I totally agree with you. Victor is, he's nominally the quote unquote bad guy in this episode, yeah. but he's not a bad guy. And unlike most grownups in monkeys episodes, he's also not untrustworthy, which is one exactly. of the characteristic things about grownups in, in monkeys episodes is they're usually, yeah if not evil at least they're you know unscrupulous or trying to rip you off he's a totally honest person he's leading his co-workers in protest over the fact that they're not getting paid yeah and they haven't been paid in later on we'll find i think for several months yeah 
and and they haven't eaten anything. No, and the animals aren't getting fed either, which is a very exactly. dangerous situation. Yeah. Now, the I assume that the shots of the elephants and horses from a, a few seconds ago are stock footage from some other circus. I haven't figured out what the stock footage is from, but yeah, I was wondering about. It's that. old, whatever it is. There. Are yeah, some... and I guess you think it's the same, maybe the same stock footage or the same production that the later audience shots are taken I, from. It could be. Um, I have checked it against the greatest show on earth, which was a, a film from about 10 years earlier. Um, hmm. and it doesn't match. So I don't okay. know what it's from, but it's not that, uh, anybody knows, please let us know. Uh, yeah. there's an interesting moment coming up while Davey's making his speech right after yep. he talks about having to have hope. There's a seat, a shot of the crowd. And if you look right hmm. between Mike and Mickey's heads, you'll see Davey is in the audience listening to himself. Huh. So that's an editing error. I'm going to uh, try to keep my eye out and see if yeah. I can spot that. But uh, I, I do like the uh, the commentary, the, the yelling from the audience mm -hmm. that Mickey does during right. this. I think it's, it's funny. It sounds very... Um, very Mickey coming off up. the cuff, sort of. Coming up. Okay. There he is, right between Mike and Mickey. Oh, look. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> huh. little, little continuity mistake there. <laughs> but you were talking about the circus footage. And, and one thing I noticed was that the, the cars and the fashions and the hairstyles clearly dated from mid-50s at the latest. Yeah, definitely. I definitely noticed that. Um, now, I like this gag here. Now, I, I will say that I am not particularly fond or overly fond of this episode, but this gag is one of my favorite ones <laughs> uh, in the episode, this whole brain surgeons thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's kind of classic monkeys, you know, jump cut gag. <laughs> now, before they get to the brain surgeons joke, um, Mickey made the joke about how long does Victor's sullen periods last? And that was a mm -hmm. joke that was borrowed from Son of a Gypsy. Exact same right. joke. Nice. And there's Mike. This is Cotton Picker. Now, if you listen carefully, you'll notice that Peter's actually laughing quietly while Mike is doing his um, radio report from the farm. He's trying very hard not to laugh out oh, loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen carefully, you can sort of hear him breathlessly going. <laughs> oh man! Now I love one of the things I love about this episode is Susan. Um, yes. Not only is she sweet to look at, but also she totally understands monkey magic. Unlike most mm -hmm. people who are not members of the monkeys, she sees the magic happening. She knows what it is. It yep. doesn't bother her. It doesn't surprise her, but she's totally aware of what they're doing. And I think God, that's so point. special because it's not a, something that most outsiders are able to perceive. Oh, fascinating. I hadn't picked up on that. I was too busy staring at Mike as the lion with his wool oh. hat still on, which I think is great. Is that not the mangiest? I almost want to give him most valuable monkey just for that. <laughs> the mangiest lion costume oh, ever created. <laughs> God, but it's 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 great. And they refer to him as Floyd Grady, which I think is supposed to be a pun on Clyde Beatty. Okay. Who was a famous lion tamer and circus founder. Right. He's not with us anymore. In fact, he died before this episode was made, but... Uh, the circus that is named after him is still operating. Oh, oh right, yeah. Occasionally, I'll see ads for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love this little visual thing with this pan down Davy's body and legs, and look at his little tiny feet and those little tiny slippers. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I was taken, I thought he really was hanging by his teeth until he took uh, the thing out of his mouth. Yeah, he did a good job of uh, of, of pretending. Mm-hmm. And, and Peter does a great job of being a circus uh, announcer. I was just yeah, about to say that exact that. same thing. He did a good job oh. as ringmaster. Yeah, definitely. I think he's got that theme song on his mind. Can't get it out of yep. his head. <laughs> I love the meta moments. You know, even when they first broke into the circus tent at the very beginning of the episode, he immediately picked up a pair of juggling pins and started juggling. Uh, he's so much at home in the circus, and that's very noticeable. Yeah, for sure. It might be like a coming home for, for Mickey. Yeah. But uh, here's the one of the classic overhearing a conversation scenes, mm-hmm. and here here this I, I just you know this to me just seems like a questionable thing for them to do. This is one of the things about this episode that I kind of cringe at. That, <laughs> you know they 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 have to realize after overhearing what they're overhearing that you know the situation at that circus is really dire, and these people are you know losing everything. So I don't really know what the angle is here because you know they're they're pretending like they're these great circus act performers, but they have no intention of actually really doing it because they know that they can't. So they're here to help a lending hand. <laughs> yeah, it just it seems it 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 just doesn't seem monkey-ish to me. I mean, the, the times we've seen them help out in prior episodes, at least they had some sort of a plan to do something. Like in this one, it's like, I, I don't see how they could have possibly thought they could actually pull something off. Or did they even intend to yeah, at you, this point? Did you notice that when Susan looked at rolled her eyes, she recognizes them. She knows who they are. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I love that little joke about, you know, do you use a net? No, just a little spray. Something, yeah. <laughs> also, there's a moment, uh, I think we've already passed it, where um, Mickey's having to feed Mike his lines. He's sort of whispering Mike's lines under his breath and Mike's repeating them. (laughs) And of course, Mike is making absolutely no attempt to fake a French accent or whatever kind of accent they're trying to do. I love that they call themselves the Mozzarella Brothers, but they're from France. (laughs) So, yeah. But then I think, you know, the the, the little vignettes that that come after this, uh, you know, we are getting each of the monkeys uh, you know buddying up with a, a circus performer and you're seeing and, and here's the ire of course yeah. she knows you, yeah you notice that, that she turned can't. around she frowned immediately she knew who and they were angry. And the fact that they changed their costumes didn't phase her in the least didn't surprise nope. her and but she knows yeah. that that you know what they're doing is is really not mm-hmm. fair because to these performers they're, they're brain surgeons so clearly they're not yeah. going to be able to help yeah, and you, 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 it really hits home for me how sad these people are going to be when they find out the truth. Because you see how they're getting their hopes up, they're yeah. practicing again to do their acts, and they want to do the best they can because the the mozzarella brothers are coming, yeah. and the circus is going to be saved, and you know their their livelihood will be restored. But you know, I think now the monkeys start to realize, wait a minute, oh man. I love this moment with Mickey juggling with uh, Ruth Carlson. Yeah, and you can again. see that he does a great job at. I love that kind of turnaround and look at the camera, yeah. the dramatic. Also, yeah, and here's the old thousand pounds gag. I mean, we've seen this done so. And there's Felixilla, by the way. I think for the first time in the episode, we see Felixilla. Actually, he was in the crowd scene earlier. He was wearing oh, was the he? Costume. Yeah. I didn't. Oh, I didn't pick up on him in the crowd there. But, yeah, uh, he was standing up. 
Yeah, good gag there for Peter. And now Davey's starting to realize too that okay, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 went a little too far overboard trying to impress the girl, yeah, and now it's kind of back. The, the logic is, is kind of weird. Now this this scene is somewhat out of focus and filmed yep. in front of the inky. I mean, you've heard the the line about head when mm-hmm. Bob Rafelson was saying he was thinking about the blackest thing that ever existed and it was Victor Mature's hair. Yeah. I disagree. The backdrop of this scene is the blackest yeah. thing that ever existed. It is, <laughs> but they do a really good job, I think, of faking that tightrope. Not only do, do, does it look interesting, uh, we know it's fake, of course, but it's, it, it looks interesting enough, and I think the guys do a, a decent job of pretending I just don't understand Enough. why they're crouching over so much. It, well, like, it's you know, the exaggeration of tightrope walking, but right. I like the, the superimposition here. Yeah, that was a clever bit of video magic that, or film magic that, you know, back then, of course, now it's simple as pie, but back then that was probably a pretty complicated thing to film. I never could figure yeah. out why everyone was saying, go back, go back, like they right. wanted them to back through each other again. And poor yeah. Susan, she's watching this. Yeah. And then she's totally unsurprised when they're suddenly sitting around her. So, yep, head and hands, just yeah. Yep. She but, sees the magic and happening, and it doesn't bother her at all. Yep. And she knows that you know she knows that it's hopeless that yeah. they can't actually deliver on the mozzarella brothers' mm-hmm. promise, and of course they have to come clean. Yeah. And sure enough, Victor's there to overhear it. <laughs> and yeah, we we glossed over the fact that. Um, you know, Victor blames the quote unquote rock and rollers for ruining the circus, which I think honestly is a very weak excuse because I don't see, you know, rock and roll bands having shows, you know, every now and then as trampling all over the circus's business. Well, but... It's more of a meta reference to the shift in yeah. cultural tastes. But of course. Susan blamed the rock and rollers too. It wasn't just Victor. Yeah. Now, it's yeah, interesting. She got swept speech. up in the. Yeah. In this speech, Victor goes on and on about how they've not a trapeze act, and they've never even been on a trapeze. They never mm-hmm. claim to be trapeze artists. They claim to be aerialists and have a tightrope act. That's true. <laughs> that's true. They talk about the glasses and the tightrope act. Yeah, that's true. They didn't say they were trapeze artists. But, yeah, well, you know, they they deserve to be called out, though. Yeah. You know. So I'd be pissed, too, if I was Victor. You know, he even he got his hopes up. Mm-hmm. He bought into it, but I, you know, I respect I respect Victor for having some integrity. So we're supposedly yeah. outside right now, uh, the outside of the tent. Yeah, we're clearly inside. We're somewhere. inside. There's no sky. There's no grass. There's no trees. They're yeah. always tightly focused on the sides of buildings and the sides of wagons because they don't have a, a lot of space to work with. Yeah. Now, I in my book, I said something that wasn't true. Oh. I said that this. Um, montage of them performing the song sometime in the morning was taken or lifted out of the episode Monkey Mother. And in a way it is. It was filmed on the set of the pad while they were filming Monkey Mother. But it's not the same montage. It's actually other clips from the same filming. Hmm. I did a side-by-side comparison and it's different parts of the song that you see Mickey singing. Hmm. So they took the scrap from Monkey Mother and edited into the circus episode. The stuff they didn't use in Monkey Mother, they used here. Hmm. I'll point out that uh, Judith Supple Hadlock noticed that the uh, clown makeup that Davy is wearing, the makeup around his mouth is in the shape of a heart. 
Aw. It's cute. And can I say really quickly that Mickey is an incredible lip syncer. <laughs> I mean, he is dead on. Mm -hmm. And he, and even down to the the emotion in the singing. I mean, look at you can see it on his face. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if he was really doing it. Yeah. But good for him. But you know, this this romp, well, quote unquote romp to me is it's a little more uh, downbeat than other monkeys romps. I don't think it has the same energy. Uh, I mean, there's there's some comedy there, but it doesn't seem as slapstick and fast-paced and funny. This definitely seems a little bit on the slower side yeah. of romps. And it's the specific purpose of cheering somebody up, which means they have to be funny. It, it can't just be that funny things are happening while they're trying to escape or or defeat somebody, but just... They're putting on an act. I guess yeah. it's decent clowning, you know. It's an interesting choice of song for this too. I'm not a big fan of clowns. Yeah, and not no, only me neither. An interesting choice of songs, being a little on the slow side, but also the scenes from the pad where Mickey is singing and the others are playing and singing is clearly at night, hmm. even though this is in the middle of the day. You can see the darkness outside the pad. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I guess another point of the of the romp is to to show that they have some sort of performance chops mm -hmm. uh, as a, as a circus act, yeah. so that they're you know they don't have to be the mozzarella brothers; they can still do something to help yeah. the circus out. Like so all is not lost. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of those scenes where I said that this is not the '60s, not with those clothes. No. No, and here's more of those shots. And yeah. this is a very elaborate looking circus, but by the way. It shows how cramped everything else is. Yeah. Um, a different ringmaster's voice at this moment than Pop's voice. And why they didn't just have the actor, um, Forrest, oh dear, I forgot his name, Forrest Lewis, um, record all of that ringmaster stuff instead mm -hmm. of using the stuff from the uh, um, stock footage. I don't know. Now, can I say also that the 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 word pachyderms? <laughs> I don't hear that. I, I heard that used a lot more when I was a lot younger, but I haven't heard anybody call an elephant a pachyderm for a really long time. Yeah, they're, uh, and they're of course, if you look up the definition of it, yeah. it's an obsolete. It's called an obsolete nineteenth-century taxonomic order. <laughs> so they, they they you aren't technically supposed to use pachyderms. It's been uh, it's been obsoleted. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do think they did a decent job of editing in the the interspersed crowd shots of the circus. It does kind of make it feel a little more circus like. I, I get your I get what you're saying about it being cramped and being a soundstage. But I kind of like that they went far enough to include that footage mm -hmm. to give you a little more depth. Also, point out that Victor was in costume and seated at his makeup table when he decided he wasn't going to go on. Yeah. And I love that Davey has Victor's uh, exact costume yeah. in his size. Yeah. That's magic. Okay. Yeah. That really shame is. on you. Shame on you, Davey. I will not forgive you for throwing a knife at those two people. No, not at all. And it, it just goes to show you that Davey doesn't know that the knives actually pop out and you don't have to throw them. But, and of course, thankfully Victor, comes in and saves the day because uh, who knows Davy may have killed poor Susan. Yeah. 
in an attempt to goad Victor into actually performing. Okay, how good a circus can it be if their most signature famous act is a knife-throwing act? I'm sorry, but that's the best mm. you can do? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, it is the 60s. <laughs> you know, it's not like a circus today where you've got, you know, the things like the, what do they, what do they call that? The uh, Cirque du Soleil where they're doing in crazy acrobatics and no. custom staging and all that i mean you know it's limited back then they, they had pachyderms <laughs> they had well they don't have pachyderms anymore peripatetic pachyderms <laughs> uh, so of course go ahead well we we always have to have the um the musical act yeah say well you know what here well i'll have these guys play but it doesn't you know, look anything like the inside no. of circus tent it doesn't. I say that blue backdrop. What I mean, this was really not a great choice in my mind as a, a musical insertion mm -hmm. into this. So the guys are now in suits and ties, obviously not at the circus. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that the uh, the the dance moves that uh, Susan and Pop are doing are incredibly well synced to the music. Mm -hmm. They're good dancers too. Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, how did they pull that off? Did they actually like have a, a, a like a phonograph there? Let me look at the way they're it synced perfectly. Awesome. Now they must have had a phonograph there or something playing the song so that they could dance to it. The other people dancing is not synced up at all mm -hmm. with the song. This particular performance was lifted from the episode Monkeys a la Carte. Um, mm. They and unlike the earlier stuff that I said was not from Monkey Mother. This is from Monkey's All Heart. It is the exact same film. Hmm. Um, in the earlier episode, the cutaways were to bathing beauties and people in dance contests and things like that. And notice, ah. this circus does have a trapeze act. Right, there it is. <laughs> they didn't need the Mozzarella Brothers. They have a trapeze no, they act. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh. <laughs> also, another thing this circus has is a band. And at the very oh. end of the song, when the monkeys are still singing, you'll see the band playing in the crowd oh, shots. Wow. <laughs> Shame on them. They shouldn't be playing right now. Yeah, what are they doing <laughs> over there? Uh, the old uh, the camera zoom and pan out and zoom. Yeah. The, yeah. See that? They, God, they're, those little dance snippets of Susan and Pop are just so well synced to the music. I just can't get over how well that's done. So it's amazing that they that's that they actually took the time when they when they did the edit in the post production for this to sync it up that way. Well. Might have just been a coincidence. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Could have been. So well, you know, my question that I have on the trailing end of this episode is now, you know, the monkeys are here and they performed at this circus this one night. Would the circus continue to sell out without the draw <laughs> that the Mozzarella point. Brothers or the Monkeys? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, I don't get how the circus is now completely saved. I mean, yeah, they sold out one night, but mm -hmm. I don't know. It just seems well, I don't like know. a non-ending to all me. The, all the people would go home and tell all their friends and neighbors that this is a circus that has a rock and roll act. I guess so. And then, and then they'd they come the next night and, and the rock and roll act wouldn't be there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It could have been an ongoing gig for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is, this is a nice travel. gesture here. Everybody's getting gifts. Yeah, that is kind of sweet. Yeah. 
Mike's going to get a sword to swallow. Davy got the giant key he was using in the romp to wind up all the other clown monkeys. Right. It's a nice takeaway, but I don't think I'd want a used swallowed sword, would you? No, and I don't particularly care for this gag. It makes me gag. Oh, the sword getting the stuck in his mouth. makes me gag, see? Ah. And then I love this. The strong man gives Peter the... <laughs> And yep. He was able to well acted by Peter earlier. <laughs> Very well acted, and uh, Mickey gets all sorts of things to juggle with. Uh-huh. And a much better looking and lion head than the one they yes. put on Mike earlier. Yeah, I prefer the one they put on Mike earlier. And a unicycle, <laughs> which he promptly runs into some other circus props with. But good job Mickey did there getting his head stuck in the ladder. Oh, he couldn't see where well he was done. going because he had the lion head in front of him. But, yeah. but um, once again, Davy gets the girl, and that's the last time we ever see and her. And how many episodes of the monkeys end with a shot of them in the monkey movie? Oh, no. You, you, can, you can research both of them. No, no, no. You have to find the answer to the second one. <laughs> hey, you're monkey magic author, Melanie Mitchell. You You have more insight into these things than I do. All right. So the episode is now over. I guess it is time to do our... Uh, most valuable monkey vote and we've got a ton of your votes also to read through but first we'll do our own so um, Melanie would you like to lead us off I'm going to cast my vote for Mickey um, for all the circus boy references and for the way he walked into that tent at the opening scene picked up a pair of of juggling pins and just started Hmm. climbing on on the toys clearly at home there and I'm sure that was intentional yep I, I, I'm having a really tough time finding someone to vote for on this one. Um, it's tough. I, I was going to vote for Mickey for the awesome lip syncing, but that technically isn't necessarily from this episode as it was lifted from another one. But um, I'm having a tough time, you guys. So I, I might just have to pull, pick a name out of a hat. And uh, I don't think anybody voted for Mike, so I'll vote for Mike for the lion gag. All right, so we also have a bunch of other most valuable monkey votes from you guys out there in listener land. So, Melanie, you want to kick us off with a few of those? Certainly. Roseanne Welch uh, says that she voted for Mickey because the whole episode is an homage to his childhood. So simply by virtue of singing and humming the Circus Boy theme song throughout, he's earned this MVM. By the way, the first uh, 11 votes are all for Mickey. Um, Sarah, oh, wow. Sarah Clark said, I thought about Davy, but ultimately I have to give it to magnificently meta Mickey. Plus, he was amazing. Or was it incredible? So, Jeff, who else voted for Mickey? Oh, uh, another Zilch host, uh, Christine Wolf, uh, Michelle Taylor, Jason Beard, Joni Griffin. Colleen, Vernon Robinson, Donna Hughes, and Mr. Ken Mills himself all voted for Mickey. I think there's a couple more, aren't there? Uh, Yes, Uh, Melissa Mackey voted for Mickey, and so did Cindy Heath. And she said, there's that many references back to Circus Boy in this episode, it's not funny. Which I think she actually meant it was funny, which is why she voted for him. But anyway, Hmm. she did, so that's 11 for Mickey. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, well, we've got a we've got a whole slew uh, for Davy as well, but I I'm not sure if there is many. We'll have to go through and see. And uh, the the awesome Mister Fred Velez voted for Davy because he wants to help save the circus. And we've also got Carolyn DiBiase Negron who voted for Davy, saying I vote for Davy because without his humanity and speech about hope, those boys 
would just have gone home and made a sandwich. I'll point out that if Peter hadn't said, let's sneak into the circus tent, they would have gone home and made a sandwich too. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Knight said, um, Davey put his heart into saving the circus. And Ryan Kennedy Correll said, I have to say this is a Davey episode. He throws knives for Pete's sake. And Mm, I have to say to Ryan, I take points off for him throwing a knife. (laughs) Yeah. Not only does he throw knives for Pete's sake, he throws knives at Pete's sake. So (laughs) uh, Brian Harwell, uh, my vote is for Davey because he refused to leave the girl crying. Aw. He insisted on the monkeys cheering her up before they leave. When the other circus people saw this, they had a change of heart and decided the show must go on. That's how the circus was saved. Uh, Also, Jerry Isabel and Christina Burke says, Davey, it has to be. He convinced the circus people to stay, cheered Susan up, and was able to get Victor to perform. So, yes, it's Davey. That's seven votes for Davey so far. Yep. And we had one vote for Peter. Coming from Carolee Birch-Cohen, who said, Peter, he wanted to sneak into the circus tent in the first place. He did a great ringmaster impression, which started off some monkey magic. He said they were a high wire act with no net. He could lift a thousand pounds and he looked great in those tights. Cute. All right. Well, I guess the winner is Mickey. Oh, at this point. point, But we don't have a winner yet. That's what I said at this point. Okay. (laughs) So you can still submit your votes for MVM after the fact. So, uh, you know, once this episode goes live and you hear it, feel free to jump on our Facebook group on Facebook. Of course, that's where you find a Facebook group, isn't it? And you will see this episode posted and you can vote for your most valuable monkey along in that thread. And See if you can, if you're not a Mickey uh, fan in this episode, you want to go with somebody else, see if somebody else can tip the scales. Right now, Mickey has a commanding lead over the other three monkeys. So we'll see how it shakes out when the episode goes live. Cool. I just have one more thing I wanted to say about this episode. It kind of slipped past me in all the excitement. We talked at the beginning about how Victor was pretty much right about everything. And I'll say that one of the things I really appreciated about this episode was in the end, he was not defeated. Right. He managed to find a way to get out of the story with his dignity intact. Yes, his heart was back into it. That is such a rare thing for a monkey's quote-unquote villain. He wasn't beaten. He was brought back into happiness. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and it, it gives a, a different tone uh, to the ending of this episode than, than the typical villains and monkeys episode. So yeah. good, good point. Yeah. So, well, we're closing up here at the end of this Color Cast commentary. And as we always do, we'll tell you where you can find us on social media. Where can people find you, Melanie, if they're interested in your monkey magic book or just want to catch up with you? Well, mostly on these days, I'm on Facebook, um, either in the Zilch Facebook group or the Monkey Magic Facebook group. Excellent. So uh, you can also find me hanging around the Zilch Facebook group and um, also on Twitter as Warp Factor Jeff. Yes, that is a Star Trek reference, by the way. <laughs> uh, so feel free to, to hit me up, too, if you have anything you want to say. And I'll be more than happy to talk to you about these color casts and any other Zilch-related stuff. So we'll see you again next time for another color cast commentary can i hit you up if i need twenty (laughs) dollars
Hi, Zilch fans. This is Melanie Mitchell. Be sure to check out my book, Monkey Magic, a book about a TV show about a band. It's a lighthearted review and companion for the TV show that made the 60s fun. The paperback is available online from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and the ebook can be bought anywhere that fine ebooks are sold. Check out the Monkey Magic Facebook page, follow me on Tumblr at bluemoonalto.tumblr.com, and listen for my contributions here on Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's Monkey's Color Cast. I'm your announcer, Ghosty Timmers. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Jeff Hewlett and Melanie Mitchell, for the Monkey's Color Cast commentary. It's always cool when we get to go in-depth on these excellent episodes of the Monkey's. And from May 2nd, 2014, once again, from Mickey Dolenz' live DVD, Live at the Arcata Theater, it is Mickey Dolenz with Sometime in the Morning.
And now here's Sarah Clark and Melanie Mitchell discussing Ward Sylvester. Sylvester, one of the key behind-the-scenes figures in the monkey story, passed away on June 11th. Ward might have been one of the most important figures in the story that we tell here on Zilch, shaping the careers of the monkeys and other acts from the era throughout the 60s and beyond. Melanie and I dug through archived letters and articles found at the Monkey's Live Almanac, as well as a two-part interview with Ward Sylvester that was originally broadcast on the Headquarters Radio Hour, and we learned some interesting and little-known facts about a background figure who quietly made the monkeys who they are. So, Melanie, why don't you share how Ward Sylvester got involved with the people who created and became the monkeys? Well, this is a fascinating bit of research. In the early 1960s, Ward Sylvester was working in New York City as the assistant treasurer for Columbia Pictures. His boss was Bert Schneider. And while he was working there, in 1964, he went to see the play Oliver on Broadway. And that's where he first clapped eyes on Davy Jones. He was so impressed with Davy's performance in Oliver that he contacted him and suggested that he could become Davy's manager. Apparently in a move that was going to try to emulate the old studio system, his plan was to get Davy signed to a contract for Screen Gems and also for Cole Picks, which was the record-making arm of Columbia, which he did. Eventually brought Davy out to California in 1964, September of 1964, at which point he was trying to find Davy uh, work in television and film. While they were in California, Davy got a role in a play called Pickwick. It's opened up in San Francisco. And the idea was that Davy would not travel with Pickwick anywhere but California because the idea was to get him in front of industry folks who would see him and, and hire him to be in their uh, shows. I found a letter on the Monkey's Live Almanac, a business letter that Ward Sylvester wrote on April 21st, 1965. It's addressed to Davy's father in Manchester. And I just loved this letter because it was such a charming window into what Davy was doing and how Ward Sylvester was representing him. He wrote, Dear Mr. Jones, I've just come from the San Francisco opening and David has made himself quite a success. There was an absolute roar when he took his curtain call and Mr. Seacombe personally called him out to take a single bow. You should be very proud of your son. His performance is outstanding. As you may know, David plays a fast-talking, practical young bootblack who betters his position by convincing Pickwick to take him on as a serving man. He then loyally follows Pickwick through a number of exploits, tries to look after his interests, and at the final curtain is the only one left with Pickwick. It's a much more well-rounded role than the Dodger, and David creates a great deal of human warmth in the character while preserving his quick wit. Because he is the only character who is with Pickwick constantly, David is in the center of the stage most of the time. He has some excellent songs of his own and some dance turns which are quite astonishing. Some charming scenes in which he and Harry Seacombe try to make each other laugh quite steal the show. I am planning to be in Hollywood most of the time Pickwick is there, and I will personally see to it that the influential people in the film community witness David's remarkable performance. 
Yours truly, Howard C. Sylvester Jr. Wow. So it's really sweet that Sylvester wrote this letter describing so vividly what the performance was like. Yeah, it's really sweet. So after Ward connected Davy to the Monkees Project, he really acted as a talent scout of sorts as the show was casting its stars. He was going around L.A. with Davy, apparently uh, stopped in one night at the Troubadour and they saw Nez in action and, and all kinds of things as, as the casting process was coming together. Apparently, he also traveled with Peter to San Francisco in 1966 to scout out ideas for what what would become their live touring show. He helped put together the concert act. He, he sort of served as the uh, tour director of sorts, along with choreographer David Winters. And he even traveled with them when they toured. He worked with Boyce and Hart and hired the Candy Store Profits to open for the Monkees and accompany their solo spots. And as things went along, he even threw his weight behind the anti-Kirshner camp in the Palace Revolt. So he was very pivotal behind the scenes. Did you know that Ward Sylvester appeared in the Monkees episode, Monkees on Tour? I don't think I did, no. Okay, he appears in that episode twice. Once at the airport, and again, when uh, Mike is at the sporting goods store, he's walking up on a down escalator. There's another person who gets on the escalator with Nez and then turns around and starts walking up. That's That was him? It is, yes. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. awesome. Peter identified him in the commentary track. Cool. I need to go back and re-listen to those. Wow, that's neat. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Sylvester wasn't just working on the tour. He was also the associate producer for the TV show, and eventually he would step up to be the producer for nine episodes near the end of the second season, when Bert and Bob were getting involved in other projects. It was Ward Sylvester who agreed to let Mickey and Peter each direct an episode, because he was running the show at that point. Mm -hmm. um, in an interview he did with the old uh, Monkey's Headquarters radio show, uh, Sylvester said that he thought the show was already in the habit of hiring first-time directors and that both Mickey and Peter were organized, and nobody knew the show better. Very true. <laughs> well, that's cool that he gave them that opportunity. And what was interesting for me to learn was that after the TV show ended, Ward stayed involved in the Monkees projects. He connected the guys up with Jack Good and produced 33 and a Third Revolutions per Monkey, and 30 years later, Ward actually got re-involved with the Monkees again when they were working with the Justice Reunion and specifically their TV special, which, you know, we call by its original name here, Lizard Sunning Itself on a Rock. Yay. And and apparently, Ward was the only possible producer that all four of them agreed on because all four of them knew that they could trust him. And that that right there, I think, speaks volumes about the guy. Yeah, there's a wonderful quote that came from the Monkey Business fanzine uh -huh. from Mickey Dolans. He said, he has a good history with us. He was there right at the beginning and we all trust him. Yep. And the Monkees were not the only sort of teen heartthrob act that Ward Sylvester was involved with. As mentioned, he met Jack Good and produced 33 and a Third, but he actually 
met Jack Good via Bobby Sherman, who he soon started managing. Ward actually met Bobby Sherman when he was doing his guest spot on Monkeys at the Movies. And I guess they set up a connection. And before long, Ward was managing Bobby Sherman's career as well. And they stayed involved professionally for decades. I read a uh, interview with Bobby Sherman in the uh, in the early 90s, where he was saying very complimentary things about Ward and how he'd worked with him through his career. Yeah, Bobby Sherman knew Jack Good because Bobby Sherman had uh, worked on Shindig. Oh, okay. Which was Jack Good's TV series. Right. So that's how it ended up that Jack Good wrote 33 and a third. That's how okay. they met each other. Cool. Cool. Well, there were literally hundreds of talented and innovative people working behind the scenes to make the Monkeys TV show, the Monkeys music, and the Monkeys concerts over the last 51 years. So I'm really glad that we took some time today to remember and honor Mr. Sylvester's part in the Monkeys story. So if our listeners want to learn more, they should check out the Ward Sylvester page on Monkeys Live Almanac, which has lots of resources that are collected there. We will provide a link in our show notes. Great. Wonderful. Thanks for sitting down with me to talk more about Ward Sylvester. It was my pleasure. Hi, fellow Zilch fans. This is Dr. Roseanne Welch, author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture, a book about the enduring significance of the monkeys as a groundbreaking television program, one that introduced audiences to new ideas of political ideology and new concepts of class and feminist theory, a program that challenged the rules of a new medium and paved the way for future innovation. Why the Monkeys Matter highlights the artistic achievements of the show's writers, actors, directors, and other artists, and celebrates all that the monkeys mean to television, to American popular culture, and to us, the fans. Why the Monkeys Matter is available in print and for Kindle, Apple iBooks, and Nook from your favorite bookseller. Find out more at RoseanneWelch.com. R-O-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-C-H.com. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Zilch. We will be back very soon. We have the head roundtable coming up. And Emily Dolans will be dropping by the Zilch headquarters. And so much more headed your way in this More of the Monkeys Part 2. 2017. The year of More of the Monkeys. We will see you on the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend. Have an excellent holiday. Stay safe. Have an excellent summer. Thank you for being part of Zilch. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. You know, the word oldies isn't a dirty word. Not in my book, anyway. Hey, this is Ghosty. How would you like to listen to a radio show that spins top hits, lost gems, and then some? 
from the glorious years between 1955 and 1972. One that features interviews with the likes of Julie Newmark, John Sebastian, Al Jardine, Mickey Dolenz, Don Wells, David Cassidy, Angela Cartwright, Bill Medley, Ronnie Spector, Connie Stevens, and many more. Well, the Vintage Rockin' Pop Shop is on the air every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 89.1 WFDU-FM. That's in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. You can also listen to it live online by going to WFDU.FM. But there's an even easier way for you folks who aren't in the New York, New Jersey area and don't want to have to get up at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on a Sunday morning. You can listen to it anytime you want just by clicking the handy links over on our Facebook page. So go on to Facebook. You're probably already on Facebook. Look for the Vintage Rockin' Pop Shop. Like it, live it, love it. And thanks. Hi, I'm Ken Mills. And I'm Courtney Cronendold. And we're from... Pop! A pop culture podcast. Courtney, what do we talk about on Pop? We talk about everything from the love boat to the billion dollar person. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. You know, I guess it's with inflation. The six million dollar man is worth what? How many trillion now, right? The million dollar person. I mean, what the f***? That's a great, that's my favorite show, is The Million Dollar Person. If you love pop culture and you love having fun, that's really what the show's about, having fun and pop culture. Join the conversation. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pop podcast. Find us on iTunes or at poppodcast.blogspot.com. You can find us on Instagram at poppodcast, P-O-P. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. I'm not hip enough for Instagram. (laughs) Oh! Hot. Hot. Okay, see, I'll listen, it only gave us a minute to do this commercial, so what I thought I would do is we'll just start talking about the podcast. I'll just start about the Facebook page. Uh, Al, 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 why are you putting on those tights? And that cape, and that cowl. This is TV's Batman, with an urgent message. There's a new podcast in town called the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. You can look them up on Facebook, or look at their own podcast page. And now, Robin, quickly, to the Monkey Mobile. Hi, I'm Megan from Same Page Cast. And I'm Craig from Same Page Cast. Hey, Craig. Where do you yes. go when you want to hear the latest monkeys news? Oh, come on. I go to Zilch. Of course, Zilch. And if you're looking for even more monkeys content, you can find us at Same Page Cast. On the Pods and Sods Network at iTunes. Hey, hey, ape fans. Did you know that there were not just one, but two Planet of the Apes TV series broadcast in the 1970s? a live-action series in 1974, and an animated series in 1975. And if you're an ape fan who wants to catch up on these series to a fun-filled podcast, then tune in to Talking Apes TV, where we break down each episode with ergotastic conversations. That's right, they are ergotastic until we break into arguments because we don't always see things ape to ape. <laughs> That's because you're always seeing vampires and pigs in with the gorillas, chimpanzees, and zayuses. Every time I watch them, I always see something new. And of course, where you find apes, you find monkeys! 
there are so many crossovers between the Monkees and the Planet of the Apes TV series that we even had our podcast composer write this very special jingle. Hey, hey, we're the apes, and people say we monkey around, but we took over the planet, so don't try to keep us you can catch Talking Apes TV every month at skywalkingthroughneverland.com and retrozap.com. And visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash talkingapestv. Now go ape!